Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. It really is. It's great to be together and worship. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. All right. Listen, I need a lot of audience participation this weekend, so you guys help me out. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site uh, campus or maybe on the internet or maybe uh, you're at home. Uh, we're just grateful uh, for the fact that you have joined us on this incredible week. What, what a normal week, huh? <laughs> it was so close. And then Notre Dame got that score <laughs> right at the end. And uh, <laughs> speaking of drama, <clears throat> how many of you have ever experienced drama around a table like this? Any testimonies? You've experienced some drama. You know, there have been... Uh, there have been th things revealed around a table like this that sparked drama. There have been stories that were told around a table like this. Values imparted around a table like this. Um, love blossomed around a table like this. Yeah, or, you know, here, here we've got two place settings here. Do you remember the first time you asked her out and she said yes and you went to a really nice restaurant, you know? And, uh, and you're sitting there in the dark corner and you reach over and you grab her hand at Chick-fil-A. Do you remember that? You remember that? <laughs> drama, 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 drama. Yes, um, decisions are made. Reconciliation was accomplished at tables like this. Laughter rang out at tables like this. Tables connect us. Tables are so important these days. And, uh, you know, as I, was, as I was looking at this, tables were important to Jesus, too. Did you know that Jesus grew up making these? Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, his dad was a carpenter. And I would imagine Jesus made several tables, dining tables in his day. They probably didn't look just like this, but how would you have liked... To have a table guaranteed by God, okay? Jesus made it. They're important in growing up, but not, not only that, tables were important in Jesus' ministry. He used them to accomplish uh, his purpose. And we're kind of finishing a series this weekend that we call the Royals, and uh, we kind of put it around the election time. We studied some kings, uh, good ones and bad ones, and and uh, we, we wanted to complete it uh, with King Jesus. And uh, we, we want to look at how Jesus used tables to connect people in his kingdom. As I thought about it, I thought, that's what we need. We need connection probably more than anything right now. And Jesus used it. So here's some audience participation. How would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man, or Jesus, that's who they're talking about, Came doing blank, okay? Came doing good, okay, somebody else. Came doing what? Bring unity, okay, what else? Salvation. To bring salvation, what else? Healing, serving. How about dying on a cross? How about establishing his kingdom? All those are things that Jesus came to do, right? But you know, the Bible 
in three different places uses that wording and defines what Jesus came to do. The first one is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. It says, for even the Son of Man came. How about we do this? Let's do this for fun. Here and in the campuses. Let's read them out loud. You remember when, some of you have been here long enough to remember outline notes. Remember the outline sheets? God rest their souls. They died just during the beginning of COVID, all right? So we used to read them. So let's, let's read them out loud. You can see them on the screen or if you've got, uh, you know, a, a Bible or whatever. Let's, let's read it out loud. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life, right? Luke 19 and verse 10 says this. It says, for the Son of Man, let's read this one too. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So he came to serve, to give his life, to seek and to save those who are lost. There's one more scripture. Look at this one. Let's read this one out loud. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Say what? That's what it says. He came eating and drinking. So what's, what's up with that? Well, the first two scriptures speak of his purpose, why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to be ser or to serve and not to be served. That's his purpose. And the third one is his method. How did he teach all of that? How did he communicate all of that? He communicated all of that around a table, around a table. In fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he's always going to a meal or coming away from a meal. I like that. I really do. It's what he did. He would take a common piece of furniture and use it for spiritual transformation. Now, Jesus was seriously into eating and drinking, so much so that his enemies accused him to doing it to excess. Look at the next scripture. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's what we just read. The rest of it says, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're accusing him of being, being a drunkard. First half of that's not true. Second half of it is. They said, you're a, you're a glutton, you're a drunkard. No, that's not the case. But, but they accused him of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And to that, he would have to say guilty. So he did a lot of ministry around a table. Now, it wasn't a table like this. This is our table today. It was much lower. You'd have the bottoms cut off. And, and they actually reclined at the table because he would use long, long meals. Yeah, if you've ever uh, traveled uh, internationally and maybe you've gone to some countries that are really big on hospitality, you know, here in the U.S., we want it right now. How many of you have a microwave? Most important, uh, you know, uh, appliance in your house because I want it right now, right now, right now. And you go some places and it's like, will they ever give me the check? You know, it's forever and ever. And Jesus was in a hospitality culture and so they would recline long, long meals stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, maybe a pitcher of wine. See, the, the table in his world was more than just a fancy piece of wood. It represented friendship and community and welcome. And I don't know when our world has ever needed a table like that more than it does 
right now today. Would you say amen to that? That was kind of weak. Let's try it again. I don't know when our world, especially the one we live in right now, needed a table more than that, than this one does right now. Would you say amen? Amen. All right, that's better. I had a brother last night that was right over here, and he was preaching back to me. By the end of the message, I said to him, could you come to all the services tomorrow? It was so good. So good. So what I want to do is I want to look at one of those meal settings, okay? And I want to talk about tables that Jesus set, and I want to talk about three tables that I believe all of us, Jesus would invite us to, and that we need to be a part of, especially in light of where we are right now today in our country, okay? So here's the, here's the scripture. It's Luke chapter 5 and verse 27, and let's read it. So after this, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. By the way, what did he change his name to? Anybody know? That's Matthew. That's Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew. Matthew was a Levite. He was a, or his name was Levi, and he was a tax collector. And he was sitting in his tax booth, and follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let's talk about three tables. And the first one I want to talk about is the table of inclusion. The table of inclusion. It says, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, the religious people didn't have a problem with the party. Jesus was always at a party. In fact, if you study Jewish culture, party is a big part of it. Celebration is huge. There are feasts and feasts and feasts. And they, they do it right. In fact, at Seacoast at the beginning of the year, we started off with what? A 21-day fast. If we were biblical, it would be a 21-day feast. Amen. I like that. Amen. Right here. <laughs> I've got my COVID-19 right here. <laughs> I could, I could do a 2021, 21 right here. <laughs> but they feasted, and that wasn't the problem. They, they understood that. What they had a problem with was the guest list. Why do you invite sinners? See, they had some rules that they'd made. It wasn't God. It wasn't even Old Testament. But they had rules uh, that you couldn't, you couldn't eat with a sinner because it would defile you. It's important who you ate with. He eats with Sinners, but worse than that, eats with tax collectors because tax collectors are, are sinners and they're a step more. Why is that? Because they're collecting taxes for Rome. Rome is the, is the dominator of the time and, and they feel cheated and tax collectors oftentimes did cheat, but they weren't necessarily just Roman citizens. Tax collectors were Jews who had sold out, they felt like. And so they said, why in the world would he with sinners and enemies of the people, in fact, even enemies of God. So, so if you were to get invitations from Jesus back in the day, 
His invitation would probably say, you're invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. How many of you are glad he says, come as you are? Now, if the, the teachers of the law would say, come if you get cleaned up. Come if you're, if you're properly attired. But Jesus said, no, come as you are. And our challenge in these times is to open up our guest list. Open up our guest list. I, um, you know, to say that we're more polarized right now than we've ever been as a people, that's probably true. I haven't, I haven't been alive forever, but in my lifetime, we're probably more polarized than we've, than we've ever been. It's not an accident. In fact, I was watching a, a documentary uh, about social media. Anybody see that one? There's several people, it went around, but they talked about how algorithms are separating us. Here's how that works. If you go on Google, like I do every once, how many of you shop online? Anybody shop online? Yeah. I do a lot of shopping online. I don't do a lot of buying, but I do a lot of shopping. And the other day I was shopping for a, a tool for ministry. It was a, a fishing uh, uh, reel because, you know, I, I need one of those because I'm a fisher of what? Of men. That's right. So I was looking at one of those and found one and all that. Didn't buy it. But, you know, it wasn't very much longer. I was over here on ESPN just doing my quiet time. And that fishing reel followed me from Google to ESPN. Has anybody ever had that happen? Now, it's kind of handy in some regards, but for me, it's kind of creepy. I don't want people following me around. But when you like something on Facebook, they say the algorithms remember that, and they tend to serve you more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. And what the documentary was saying is that, is that those algorithms have helped to polarize us because we don't hear anything but an echo chamber. We hear more of the same and more of the same and more of the same. And, and, so, and so our challenge is, is to open up our guest list. Our challenge is to sit down at a table with somebody who's different than you. How do you know that the sinners and tax collectors were different than Jesus? The challenge for you in this season, we talked about this months ago, and I'm going to keep talking about it because I believe, I am passionate about this, that the solution to where we are as a country is found in the church. I believe that we can change things. I believe that. And I believe that the solution to our polarization is found at a table, at a table. We don't shout at one another at a table, do we? Because we've got to, we're up close and we're personal. And so we need, to, we need to sit at a table with somebody who's different than you. For some of you, that's called Thanksgiving. <laughs> Whoa. So this week, the election was on Tuesday. So on Wednesday... I sat down with somebody who's a friend of mine who I know voted differently than me. And we hold a shared value. I'm, I'm pretty simple to figure out. I, I have some values and one that's at the top of the list and I, I'm basically a, a, a one-issue voter. You can throw things at me, make fun at me, whatever you want to do, just kind of where I am. And he holds that same value very, very deeply. And so, and so I said, 
hey, let's talk about that, can we? How can you hold the same value that I do, but vote differently? You say, why in the world do you want to engage in conversations like that? Because I love it. Now, here's what I didn't do. I didn't say, my friend, you're going to hell. (laughs) Did you know that hell is a two-syllable word in the South? Hail. (laughs) You're going to hell because of what you've done. You're going to fry like a Johnsonville sausage on a Weber grill. That's some preaching, isn't it? That would have got me nowhere. Polarized, enemies. Who am I to judge who goes to heaven or hell? I thought it was about believing in Jesus Christ. I missed something somewhere there. But instead, here's what I said. I said, help me to understand. Help me to understand. You know, at the table, we sit across from people and not policies. We sit across from friends and not foes. And a table like this can silence the hate and remind us of our humanity. It's a place to gain understanding and perspective. And I want to tell you something. My life has been enriched by the tables that I sit at. And they don't necessarily change my mind. That time it didn't change my mind at all. Went away feeling the same as I did before. But you know what? That wasn't the goal. And my goal wasn't necessarily to change his because just because I accept you doesn't mean I approve of your opinions or your behavior. I can love everybody. In fact, my responsibility right now as I read the Bible is to love God, to love people as I love myself and to love my enemies and pray for them and pray for them. That's what I'm supposed to do. You might ought to check your Facebook feed and see if you're kind of lining up with what your responsibilities are. We all blow it. We all blow it. But the goal was to lower the volume, maybe learn something new, but not to win an argument, but to win a friend. And so what I want to challenge you with is in these heated times, in these heated times, don't be afraid to sit down at a table of uh, of inclusion with people who don't believe exactly like you do. This is where we work out the deepness of our salvation. It's easy to love it when everybody feels just like you do, when you're in an echo chamber. But it's, it's where we grow. It's how we grow when we become Jesus to everybody around us. Jesus wasn't afraid of that, and I don't want to be afraid of that. So first table we need is the table of inclusion. I want to challenge you to check your guest list, okay? Here's the second table is the table of healing. Table of healing. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, here's what the Bible says. Interesting. You know, we have had about a year and a half ago, a little bit more than that, we had an outbreak of healing in our church. Remember that? By the way, I think that's coming back, okay? I believe that. I believe that every time we gather, you know, it's so hard. This this uh, this virus separates us, and sometimes we we're, we're even afraid to have people pray for us. And I understand all of that, but I believe every time we gather is an opportunity. When 
when God's in the house, anything can happen. And I think, I think today, I think today there will be people who will be healed, some physically, some emotionally, some relationally. I believe that. I just believe that. We're going to have time at the end of the service for that. But you know what? Here's what the Bible says about healing. The Bible says that healing comes when we get real with one another. In fact, James 5 and verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How how does healing come? When we confess our sins, where? To God? Well, we're supposed to do that, but this says to one another, when we're real with one another, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, powerful and effective. See, the Pharisees We're afraid of sinners. But Jesus was more concerned about the effect that unconfessed sin has on all of us. The truth is we're all sinners. You know, even when Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a thing because he knows that there wasn't a righteous person in the room. There were people that thought they were righteous, but they weren't. They were all sinners. Jesus was more concerned about the impact of unconfessed sin in our lives, okay? You know, uh, a lot of you are 12-steppers, and I've, I've said before, I'm, I'm more proud of some of you than I am of anybody in this church. Some of you go to Celebrate Recovery, or some of you go to you know, 12-step groups, and you've been going for a long time. And one of the maxims of 12-steps is that you're only as sick as your secrets, right? You're only as sick as your secrets, And here's the problem. This this disease has got us isolated. Sin isolates us. Sin, the enemy of your soul says, you're the only one that's struggling with what you're struggling with. You're the only one that has the thoughts that you have. You're the only one that lost a battle with pornography last night. See? And one of the most healing things in words around a table like this Or when you confess your sin and somebody else says, me too, (laughs) me too. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Some of us need to get to a table because we're in crisis mode right now. Some of you have lost a loved one or a marriage or a job or something very significant to you, maybe a friend. And grief just overwhelms you and you wanted think the right thoughts and you want to do the right things, but you can't by yourself. And I I love this church because a long time ago, we started grief share and divorce care. Groups for people that were in difficult times of their life. And the other day they told me, they said, hey, Greg, mention if you get a chance in your message that we've got a, a special grief share and divorce care that's called surviving the holidays because the holidays are the hardest times when you're hurting. And so if you'd like to connect just, just uh, text connect, the word connect to 320-320, and they'll help you. And it might not just be one of those groups. It, it, it might be you just need to get back involved in a, in a, in a small group or, or an inside track, but we need to connect. Some of us are in crisis mode. Some of us are coming through a crisis. We're coming through a crisis. And then others of us, there's somebody in our life that we need to help to come to the table. In fact, in this passage, and I didn't really bring it out to you guys, but the passage that we're reading about Jesus and the tax collectors and all of that, it says after this, the first 
First word said after this, after what? After a hectic day of ministry, Jesus went and he ate with these guys. Well, here's the last thing that happened in his hectic day. He was healing some people and talking to some people and he was in a house and there were, there were some guys that had a friend who was paralyzed and he couldn't get himself to the house. And so they, they decided, we're gonna fix it. And they got something to carry him on and then they put some ropes and they got up on top of the house and they cut a hole in the ceiling. Probably not the best thing to do, okay? But if Jesus is in the house, you gotta get in there somehow. And this friend couldn't do anything on his own, but his friends lowered him down. They lowered him to a table of healing. And sometimes we need to do that for a friend. You know, I, uh, I started sitting at a table of healing with pastors uh, about four or five years ago. Here's some statistics on pastors. 75% of pastors are extremely stressed. This was before COVID. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their family. 70% constantly fight depression. I texted a, a friend with a large church this morning because I know he's going through incredible, incredible battle with discouragement uh, because of things happening in the church. And I told him, you can do it. You got a friend in this corner. Pastors, 85% uh, never take a sabbatical. 70% don't have somebody they consider a close friend. And, uh, and I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And our pastors are suffering. You know, you, you strike the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. And so about four years ago, I started sitting at, at tables like this. And we'd be intentional. What we'd do is we'd take away 10 or 15 guys. And uh, sometimes we do it with guys and their wives. and Sometimes just guys. And, and we go during the daytime and we'd... Uh, We'd, we'd play, you know, play golf or fish or hunt or whatever it is guys do. And then at night, we'd have a big table, long table that everybody can sit around. And we eat. And then after we eat was my opportunity to get in their heads at a healing table. And here's, here's one that works for me all the time. You ought to try this in your small group. Just close your curriculum for this week <laughs> and say, you know what? We can hide behind this book. Let, let's do this. Let, let, let's do some highs and lows. Let's go around. Everybody give me a high. Everybody give me a low. Here's what happens when we do that with pastors. The first one is like very ecclesiastic. And it sounds spiritual. Okay. The second one is kind of like that. And by the time we get to the third and the fourth, they're just spilling their guts. I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. Things aren't, aren't the way that they should be at home. I've got a secret porn habit. On and on and on and on. And they just spill it out. And here's what happens. We see scripture fulfilled as we see healing begin to come. I can tell you story after story after story of healing, of healing. See, um, one of the guys uh, wrote this, and this is at a table in Montana, one of the places that we go, after receiving healing at that table. And, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I, I wanna read a part of it so you get a picture of it. it says, he says, it's no small thing to convene here. Each of us possessors and carriers of influence and vision and grit and wisdom have momentarily entrusted our life's work into the hands of those we have trained and empowered. 
We have gathered from different locations and backgrounds and have taken very different journeys in every respect to be right here. Still, all of us have arrived at this place, this refuge, this table. It's no small thing. Around this table, we choose to take time to be together. And here we voluntarily and collectively unburden ourselves bit by bit. We understand it takes time for a man to break free from the urgent, unimportant things of his life. It always takes time. We laugh loud together at this table. We feast like kings here. We take chances here. We win and lose here. We choose trust here. And each of us is better in some way because we're here. This is no ordinary table. It's bigger than the room that it occupies. Its corners are growing. It's a table of influence, and it's been built for leaders and built for kings. And at the end, he says this. He says several other things, but he says it's no small thing to gather around this table. God has prepared it only for those whose lives will in some way impact the course of history. God has prepared this table for you. It's a powerful thing being there. In fact, I've made it, uh, since the death of Darren Patrick and just seeing what else is going on with pastors, I've, I've made it my life goal. Uh, next year, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring 100 pastors to a table like this and the year after and the year after. And some of you maybe resonate with that, need help. We're gonna have an end of the year offering December the 12th, I think, and 13th. And maybe you wanna designate some funds towards something like this. Some of you will. So if you want, that's okay. But we need a table like that. And I want to challenge this. I just said, maybe you're in a small group and, or maybe it's just a group of, of ladies or a couple of couples or, or whatever it happens to be, just some guys. Why don't you just sit down and say, let's do a high and a low. And then let's confess our sins to one another and let's sit at a healing table. I've got one more and this is the best table. And that's a table of hope, table of hope. Yeah, Jesus' parties or celebrations were all about hope. You know, uh, the morning of the election on Tuesday, I made a mistake. Before my quiet time, I popped the TV on. Anybody else do that? And uh, whoever the commentator was on the channel that we were watching uh, said, uh, you know, this, this is not the United States of America. This should be called the United States of Anxiety, <laughs> USA. I thought, she's right. There are so many of us that are anxious about everything. And then my next thought was, we have the antidote. I don't know the antidote to COVID. I'm praying that they'll get one. I don't know. But we have the antidote. We have the vaccine to a country that's beset by anxiety. And I don't, I, I don't want to in any way, hear me out. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Hear me out. If you're on anxiety medication, that's great. Do it. But at the bottom core, the lifestyle, Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's talking to a group of people in John 14 who had every right to be afraid. Things are changing. It's chaos. There's uncertainty everywhere. Anybody relate to that? And he says, you don't, don't be afraid. He said, I give you my peace. So when we sit at a table like this, we have a choice. We can serve up big helpings of anxiety. 
I'm anxious about how the election's going to turn out. I'd like a large helping of anxiety. I wonder if there will be massive unrest and violence. Give me some more of that. You know, I saw the numbers in South Carolina on COVID, and they were double what they were yesterday. I'd like a big, huge thing of anxiety. I wonder if there will ever be a vaccine, and if they will, I don't know if I'll take it. Anxiety. I wonder how long we'll have to wear masks. Give me a double portion of that. Is it going to ruin Christmas? Here's what I can tell you about all of those questions and the anxiety that comes from them is we have no idea and you can't do a thing about it. But that's what we spend our time on. How about this? How about we dish up some hope, huh? I'll tell you what. I'll have a large helping of Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I'll take a lot of that. How about you? How about while we're in Isaiah... While we're in Isaiah, how about I supersize Isaiah 26.3, which says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Give me a bunch of that. Well, while we're in the Old Testament, how about Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Give me several portions of that. Amen. Or how about John 16? Jesus is talking in times of uncertainty to people who are uncertain. They don't know what the future holds. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Take a big, big helping of the fact that I have overcome the world. Which bowl are you eating out of? Which bowl are you feasting from? Let's feast from a bowl of hope, of hope. You can't change the circumstances. We can't change the seasons or the way the wind blows. But what we can do is choose to trust God. One last verse, John 14 and verse one. Let's read this one out loud. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, just before I came out here, I was meditating on the word faithful, faithful. And a lot of times we think of faithful as, you know, as contrasted to uh, unfaithful, uh, you know, betraying or whatever. But that word faithful to me today meant just full of faith. I want to be found faithful in these days. I want to be found full of faith. Jesus had a mission that was to seek and serve and save the lost. His method was a table that came eating and drinking. You have a mission, and I have a mission. 
And that's to be an accurate reflection of who God is so that people will be served and saved, made whole. The method is the table. So let's make sure that we're inclusive in our guest list, that we're at least at one table where we can be gut level real with each other and we're feasting on large helpings of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your people. God, I thank you for your kingdom. God, I thank you that you have chosen us to live in these times and days, which means that you have a purpose for us, just as you had a purpose for Jesus. And so God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.